going to put a pause. We've been doing a series in the book of Galatians, right, called Traveling Light. And we're putting a pause on it. I told you it was going to be long. I warned you on the outset that it was going to be a long one because we really wanted to dig into what Paul was saying to the Galatians. Fabulous book. Learning so much. I'm learning so much as I dig through and study and listen to the Holy Spirit and being invited to travel lightly through life, to, to not hold on to things I need to, that, that others say I need to hold on to, not pulling on those religious clothes clothes that are so easy to grab a hold of, but setting them aside to walk in true grace, the true grace of God, that it's not earned, that it's not by my work, it's not by my good looks, not by my power, not by any of that stuff, that I'm acceptable to God, that I'm just accepted, that He loves me, and He loves you just as you are right now, no matter how you're feeling, no matter how you're looking, no matter what's going on in your life, God just looks at you and He's like, oh man, I love you, oh, I love you. And that's just, that's the heart of that message. So don't take on a new slavery. That's what Paul says. Don't take on a new yoke of slavery. Don't put on a new rule, a new law. Just walk in grace, the grace of God. But we're going to pause. We're going to hit the pause button. You know, if you've got one, like somewhere near you, hit the pause button. It's your imaginary VCR. I just said VCR. I aged myself, didn't I? Imaginary Netflix. What's the newest? I don't even know anymore. Uh, just press that pause button physically in your mind, and we're going to start, like I said, Missions Month. We're going to do Missions Month. Every year we have set, for the last uh, 13 years or so, we have set aside a whole month. And many people are like, we do? We did? Yes, we have. <laughs> a whole month to focus on missions and missionaries. And the goal is to keep our eyes up. You guys remember when we were in COVID time where it felt like it was just so easy to kind of turn in navel gazing and forget that there is a world going on outside, like the news is still happening because we're like isolated in our homes or watching church online. Just everything kind of went whew, down into just our little houses. And we were like, you know, the Holy Spirit's inviting us to, to look up, to see what's going on in the world. And so we started talking about the missions, we submission we support and what's happening locally. And we're doing that again. We're going to get our eyes lifted up because it really is, even though it's not COVID time per se, to have our eyes just become turned into our own little corner of the world. It doesn't take much for life to feel out of control, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take much to push us over that edge just a little bit, just, just one new happening because we're watching news all the time. We're watching what's happening. We see what's going on downtown or this or that or the other thing, and, and it just suddenly, whoop, you know, we, we turn inward because we, we have compassion fatigue. We get tired of, of seeing all that stuff. Or we get busy with our lives, right? Coming out of COVID, we watched some people, like they went from, I'm like, a couch potato because there was nothing I could do. I just lived right here on the couch to now I have got 900 million commitments to do and I'm going 800 miles an hour to get them done. My kids are in this sport, that sport, the other sport, and that's just one of them. There's three of them and then there's drama and this and that and I'm working and we just added all this stuff and life kicked back up to full speed and we were moving so fast that we couldn't actually see what was going on around us, right? Have you ever looked out the window when you're going 80 miles an hour and the, you're trying to focus on one thing? It's just boom, 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 you know, it just goes right past you. That's what we could do. And we just, it's easier to focus on what's in the car, right? So we want to do a whole month of just getting our eyes up, like letting go of our compassion fatigue, just setting our eyes on what God is doing in the world around us. The heart of Jesus is compassion. 
It's compassion for the lost. It's compassion for the hurt. It is compassion for the sick. It is compassion for old people. It is compassion for young people. It is compassion for people of color. It is compassion for people of whiteness, I guess. I don't know how white, white is a color too, by the way. But people of all genders, of all walks of life, it's compassion. And above all, it's compassion for you and compassion for me. The heart of Jesus is compassion. So in this mission month, we want to spend time like letting God prompt our hearts to his compassion, to, to shift us and our focus from right here in my car to what is going on around me, to, to send God's compassion here locally, nearby, and to people that are not like us, and far, far away to places that we may never actually get to visit ourselves. We want to show the love of Jesus to other people. But missions itself has really gotten a bad name, I think, in our culture today. And some of you may be like, it is? I don't know. But if you start talking to non-Christian people about Christian missions, you're going to get some feedback that you will be surprised by. And that feedback is, missions is just cultural domination. It's where you take your particularly white American culture and enforce it on another culture in another country, another place, and make them sacrifice who they are to become like you. That's what a lot of people think about it. And it's because it's been attached to colonialism. Now, little history lesson, right? Let's go into history. And I think back, how has Christianity spread around the world? Well, often it came with a priest who was attached to a group of conquistadors, right? They come into, into southern Mexico and, and slaughter their way across the country while the priest is preaching the gospel. You can see it when people came to America, and you got, you got Christian communities that come and move to this place so that we can love God the way we are called to love God. And then we slaughter the Native Americans. And we take land. It's been attached to some horrors all around the globe. And those are just a few stories that involve our country. But you go other places and you'll hear different stories. Because the church... And Christianity has been attached to these sorts of things. It looks like when you send a missionary somewhere that basically what we're trying to do is to civilize somebody. We're trying to save them somehow in, in ways that they were never lost. We destroy, have, have had part of destroying communities, of families, of lives. There's stories even locally about nuns who take in little Native American children, who took in Native American children, basically stealing them from their families so that they could civilize them. And in the end, they lost their language, they lost their culture, they lost their, their families of origin, they lost all connection to their history, and many of them even lost their lives. And recently, there was a new story where mass graves were found at an orphanage that was run by nuns. Missions has got a bad name amongst non-Christians. And evangelism is not much better. That word that Christians like to use, evangelism, reach the lost, right? But it's been tied to these massive crusades, right? Crusades is not a good word to start with, okay? We're having an evangelism crusade. We're like, weren't the crusades that time where we went and slaughtered Muslims? You know, that's, that, that wasn't good. That's bad. So we have this, this idea of crusades, and it's not good to start with that. But we're going to get out there and save the lost. And then we have all these massive crusades with evangelists that fail spectacularly, 
right? They get up, you, you see them, their thousands are coming to faith, and there's amazing things, and God's clearly doing something good. They die, and you find out that they've been like sleeping around and stealing money and all kinds of stuff. Character counts for a lot, and it's been besmirched. The Christians in general, we're not looking so hot these days. <laughs> you guys have noticed, if you've watched the news, but it's not just evangelists that are falling. The church has been wrapped up in Christian nationalism. It's uh, been divided politically. We look at one another uh, theologically, and we point fingers, and we shout, and we divide, and we have compounds, and there's parts of the church that are, that are uh, boycotting at funerals, and you got other parts of the church that anything goes, and it's just this mix and mess, and it's glorious and wonderful, and God loves it, and it's a train wreck and a hot dumpster fire all at the same time. It is. Churches are focused on big budgets, big buildings, big shows. They're missing out on the practice of loving well. Christians don't look a whole lot different than the people outside of the wor in the world. Leaders are falling left and right. Just just say the gospel has been absolutely run through the mud in the recent years. It's sobering. <laughs> it's sad. It's hard. And guess what? In the middle of all of that, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and surely I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. He's not like, go into all the world as long as all the world wants to have you, right? Go into all the world as long as the world is interested in you. Go into all the world as long as Christians look good. He invites us and commands us and calls us to go. And it's not just the elite. It's not just disciples. It's not just apostles. It is you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, wherever you find yourself to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's not something that most of us want to do <laughs> because we feel like most people don't want to hear it. They really don't. But I have two stories that say something different. Two very recent stories. And I'll tell them to you. Okay, one a couple weeks ago. You guys have been into the new uh, grander market yet over here across the street? You know, okay, so let's all just give a collective moan of sorrow for the death of Cafe Moro over a year ago because we still miss Tyson and his wonderful, delicious nectar of the gods coffee. Okay. Oh. Now let's give a cheer of, of uh, a cheer because a really cool store came in. Okay, it's called Grander Goods. Yay! And she sells some really great stuff. There's some good bulk stuff. There's really cool uh, Pullman apparel. Like if you want some really kitschy, strange Pullman apparel, like keep Pullman boring. Uh, coffee cups and T-shirts. I own a T-shirt that says "Keep Pullman Boring." I wore it in Las Vegas recently. Yeah, I was like, this place is gross. Let's keep Pullman boring. Okay. <laughs> So it was really cool. So they got all kinds of great stuff in there. So I was in there, and we were looking around, looking at the bulk things, smelling all the nice smells, and the cool candles, and handmade things, and, and their teas. They've got great teas, and I'm advertising for her, by the way. So it was like, it's just a great shop. But in the back corner, this is the unfortunate part, there's some, you know, new age spirituality stuff. And there's a sign for Riki, Rikai, I can't even figure out how to say it, healing rooms. 
And it's a Japanese form of using inner power, and, and it's kind of a new age spiritual thing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And I was looking around, and then I heard these two college gals, like 19, 20, 21 years old. Oh, look, it's a Rikai healing room. And the other girl goes, what's a Rikai healing room? Oh, it's where you use spiritual energy to heal your body. I got in a car wreck, and it just it absolutely helped me. Oh, look, what's this? Tarot card reading. What is that? And the other girl goes, oh, that's where they look at cards, and they tell you your future, and they can read your spiritual stuff. And, and they started like back and forth, both of them evangelizing one another for the opposite end of the spiritual spectrum for something that is available in that store. They're still interested in spiritual things. They may not be interested in Jesus or church or Christianity, really, and I'm going to come to that. It's my second story. But they're still really interested in spiritual things that help, spiritual things that help. And who knows here that we carry something that is spiritual and that helps beyond anything that any of us could ever hope for or imagine. When we carry Jesus in our hearts and we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we carry something that is so great that we can't even imagine. And this is what we're bringing to the world. And people actually want it, even though it may not sound like it. The second story is I met a man, and his name is Mark, and he is about 78 years old. That's an oddly specific number for about, right? He's about 78 years old. That was just a guess, 78. And uh, he's, he's half Lakota Indian and half white. And he told me, I just met him at random, and he started telling me about his life. And I, and I was just talking to him, like, so what was it like growing up half Indian? He's like, live, you don't live in any world. You just live between worlds. And, and he started telling me about the things he was worried about, how it was going through COVID, and how his daughter had got COVID, and she was in her 40s, and she was in a coma for six months uh, during COVID. And, and she's getting better now, and, and she's still got a lot of you know, problems about it. And, and then he and his wife had isolated and hadn't talked to anybody in a year. And he's just telling me all of these things about his life. And then he stops and he looks at me and goes, well, I've done a lot of talking. What do you do for a living? And <laughs> this is like the ultimate conversation stopper. Like, actually, there's only one other thing you can say that is worse. And Heidi heard, had somebody say this to her. This guy said, I have two wives. That's worse. But <laughs> I know, weird, right? Heidi has the weirdest conversations ever. You just ask her about it. Always something strange coming up with that woman. But anyway, so he just, I just like, hmm, I'm a pastor. And he, I mean, he literally did, did like this. What? I go, yeah, we're, and Heidi was with me at this point. She goes, we're, we're, we're pastors. We, we pastor a church together. Oh, um, well, I hope you're not offended by this, but I don't like Christians. I'm like, okay. And he goes, you're not offended by that? Well, I mean, maybe a little bit, but no, not really. I mean, you, you can have your opinion. It's okay. And like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go to church. Oh, okay. <laughs> he goes, but you know, those religions have been after me my whole life. I'm like, oh yeah. Which like, which ones? Like, oh, the polygamists over the hill. Okay, again, it's it's a whole story. I'm just gonna leave that there. They they've been after me. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like the polygamists have been after you. I'm sure. Okay, uh, they're not after me, thankfully. And he goes, and the Mormons over there. I'm like, you know, and then and then the Christians keep coming to my door, and I'm just not interested in church. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then he starts talking, and he's, well, 
tell, tell me about your church. And I just tell them about our church, about our community. Tell me, what, 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 what do you talk about? What, what do we talk about? You know, God calling us to love and God calling us to, to grow up and, and what that looks like and giving some good detail. And he became more and more interested in what we do and who we are and what we talk about. And, and at the end, he goes, I like you. I go, that is strange. He goes, I, and, and then later he comes back by and he's like, hey, I just want, would you just tell your wife, I just think she is so great. I would come to your church just to hear her speak. I go, a lot of people do. Because <laughs> they don't come from me. No, I'm kidding. He became really suddenly interested that Christians could be nice people. That Christians weren't pointing fingers. And he was interested to hear how it is that we can be call ourselves Christians with the history that we have and the way that things look now and love Jesus and share that with other people. Why? People are still interested. And that's why Missions Month. I'm going to come to the scripture now, and we're going to look at Psalm 40. She's like, oh, geez, that was a good sermon. You didn't even talk about the Bible. It's a kind of a thing for me. I really think it's important to talk about the Bible at church. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think it is kind of important. So if you want to look at Psalm 40, I'm going to read the first part of it. This is a, it's a beautiful psalm written by David. And this is what, what the psalm says. And these people would sing this. I'm not going to sing it to you because I don't have a melody for it. But um, this would be a song. This is this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and, and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make their Lord, the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, and to those who do not go astray after false gods, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds. That then, see, they would, I'm sorry, I just lost my spot. Your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, you've multiplied them. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering, you do not desire, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin, you've not required. So then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, Lord. I've not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The Psalm 40 is, is a psalm of, of a man who is in a pit. Okay, He's in the pit. And all of us have a pit, right? We've all been through the pit. This is a theme in the Bible. I don't know if you ever realize this, but in the Bible, there's this theme called the pit. And the best place to look at it is in Jeremiah 38. It's a story of a prophet. He's called by God. He is told to go out and actually do something very specific. He's supposed to go to the people of his government and say to them, 
the government's about to fall. We're going to be taken over by another nation, and it's going to be okay. God's behind this, but it's not going to be very fun. And which that's the kind of message everybody wants to tell their government, right? It, it doesn't go well. So he's telling the government this, and he's telling the soldiers this, and some guys get in their head like, this isn't good. This is treason. He's making all the soldiers afraid. And so they arrest him, and they take him, and they literally put him in a pit. This pit was a cistern. It was a concrete block cistern with a, with a domed lid and a hole. And what would happen is it would rain and the water would run off and it would run off the ground and into this cistern and collect water. But not just water would go in there, right? It'd be dirt from the ground and it would fill up with dirt. And over time, these things would become very thick with mud. And so this was a used up cistern filled with mud now. And they take him and they throw him in. Now, if you guys have ever seen the pictures of the La Brea tar pits in California, where the mammoths are walking along and suddenly, oh, I got something sticky on my foot, and then, the next, and then they're moving, and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper, and then the mammoth eventually comes back to the surface dead 100,000 years later, right? Same idea. This was not just punishment. This was not just prison. This was torture. They would throw this person into the pit, and they would, they would be moving and trying to stay afloat, trying to stay above this mud, and it's just getting deeper and thicker, and they're becoming more exhausted, more tired, and sucking themselves down under until they literally drowned in mud. That is the biblical picture of the pit. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's some sick I'm depressed, it's I have no hope, I'm lost. It's this, this place where we can't feel God, we can't seem to know God. We, we settle thick, deep, into the thick and deep mud, and we come to this place where we feel like there is no hope. There is no hope. The story of the Bible has this pit throughout the whole thing. It begins with Genesis and the chaos. The literal version, the literal word chaos, the word picture is a dark pit. And then God speaks into that dark pit and light is formed and life is created. And you, have, uh, you have Joseph, the, the son of Jacob. He was literally thrown into a pit by his brothers and then sold into slavery. And it sets up the whole metaphor for his life after that. He's just in the pit. He's in prison. His family's gone. He's got no hope. Nobody sees him. He's been falsely accused. All of these things happen to him. He's in the pit. His father, Joseph, is in the pit when his son suddenly disappears. He thinks he's been eaten by lions. Imagine losing a child. The pain of that is the pit. You have uh, Daniel thrown into a lion's den, which is literally a pit that was dug to catch a lion and then thrown in with the lion, okay? That's the pit. Elijah, Job, David, all of these people said these words, my soul is in the pit. It's hopelessness, depression, loss, loneliness, confusion, the pit. And we all have one. We've all been through one. We've all, maybe, many of you may be in one now, and if you haven't been, we will probably be one in the future because it's a part of life, right? That's creation. Creation was made in the pit, and here we are. This is our reality. But I want you to know this. The good news is, is that God is in the business of rescuing people from the pit. For Jeremiah, he had three friends come. They were praying and praying and praying, and they prayed for favor with the king, and they went to the king, and they said, he is falsely accused. Can we go save him? So they have, they, he says, yes, go save him. So they get ropes. Three men it takes to pull him out. They have to put, like, shirts underneath his armpits so they don't 
pull his arms out of the socket. It's so thick and so hard to get him out of there. But they go and they rescue him. And Jeremiah is pulled from the pit. David here says, He drew me up from the desolate pit, and he set my feet upon the rock. God doesn't put people in the pit. Let's just start right there. God doesn't put anybody in the pit. Other people put people in the pit. Circumstances might put people in the pit. Sometimes we put ourselves in the pit with our choices and our our desires and our predilections, our mistakes and our failures. We wind up in the pit for lots of reasons, but God rescues us from the pit. It's what he does over and over again, and it's how he shows compassion to the world. It's how we see his compassion in action. How the world sees God's compassion in action is seeing you be rescued from the pit. When you have been pulled up out of the miry clay and your feet have been set upon a rock, others will see and know that God has saved you from the pit. God rescues people over and over. It's what he does. And it's kind of amazing to me that he even does this. Uh, recently, Heidi and I got to go out, and we spent some days in, in creation, and it was gorgeous. And it was like seeing all of God's creativity and power on display. You could not stop worshiping. It was so gorgeous where we were at. Everything that we saw was just overwhelming generosity of God's goodness and wonder and beauty. And it's like, this is so beautiful. And then we went into a, a village, of a, a, a city of, of polygamist people, and suddenly we saw the, the crown of God's creation utterly broken. And like, God, you created all this wonder out here, and you made us, and you made us special, and yet we are so broken. Why would you rescue us? This psalm talks about, about creation. He says, oh, where is it? I got to find it. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Here I come. Uh, it says, you've multiplied, oh my God, your wondrous deeds. Like over and over, you've done amazing things. You've created amazing things. And your thoughts toward us, if we were to count them, we just couldn't count them. Why? Why would you think that way about us? Why would God think that way about somebody in, in the Ukraine right now? A Russian soldier who is, who's looting or stealing we're killing. Why would, why would God think that way about a polygamist man who might marry an eight-year-old? Why would God think that way about, about murderers and cheats and thieves? And, and why would God think that way about me, prideful, arrogant? Why would God think this way? God is great, and there is nothing we can do to add to his greatness. Nothing. There is nothing. We can't, we can't give more. We can't spend more time. We can't do better things. We can't live a better life and have that add to God's greatness. He is so great. He doesn't need us. We can look around at the world and see God's goodness. You know, you can go out into the mountains and look at it and go, how in the world did this happen? And a geologist could come up to you and he's like, well, let me tell you. And they can give you a scientific version of how that mountain was created. But they weren't there. They're using their creativity to imagine it. We can't, we can't explain God's greatness. All we can do is see it. The only one who can see his own greatness is God. And God looks down at us and sees us just as we are, and he chooses us. He doesn't need anything from us, sacrifices he didn't desire. 
He didn't require. He just wants us, people. God doesn't need you. How about that? How, how, how good does that feel to hear, right? God doesn't need you. He doesn't. There is nothing you can give him. doesn't need your money. He has all of creation. He doesn't need your time. He created time. He doesn't need your gifts or skills. He gave every one of them to you. He had extra to spare, right? God doesn't need your voice to speak about his goodness. Creation does it for him. He has creation to shout his goodness to the whole world. There's a, a, a guy named Brother Lawrence. Some of the men in the church are reading his book called Practicing the Presence of God. And this is really crazy. You know how he came to faith? He was staring at a tree. He was looking at a tree, for goodness sakes. And he said, the tree comes to life in its season, and it, and it seems to die, and then it comes back to life, and there's resurrection. There's got to be more to this, and, and he sees God through creation. He didn't need somebody to evangelize him. He had a tree. God doesn't need us, and it's really hard to buy that God doesn't need us when he still chooses us because we don't choose anything we don't need typically. And we really feel like we're not acceptable or lovable. We don't live well enough. We're not a good enough human. And God's not looking at any of this. All he wants is you, is your heart. That is the compassion of God at work. He rescues people from pits, pits that they don't know about, pits that they are long mired in. But he rescues people he doesn't need. He rescues people that can't add anything to his greatness or give him anything that he needs. He just lifts them up and sets them on their feet because he loves them. So the encouragement here is if you're in a pit this morning, wait patiently. Just wait patiently. God is at work. I know that some of this, this talk about the pit may be not theoretical for you, right? It, it may be way deeper than that. It's, it's, it's real. It's now. It's not theory. Wait patiently for the Lord. Keep praying. Keep crying out because it says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined his ear and heard my cry. God is listening. He's listening. It's, it's, this is the craziest grace of all, right? That God actually listens. I get so busy in my life that I forget to return texts. I'm sure none of that has, you've never experienced that from me. Uh, you know, I get so busy that I don't return a phone call and I forget about it. I'm sure none of you have ever had that happen to you from me. I mean, like you guys have all, all of you get my best texts and phone calls, I'm sure. I'm just a guy, right? I just have a normal life. We're talking about God who never misses a text. God, who never misses a phone call. God, who never misses out on a whispered cry of despair, a whispered cry of desperation, a just a moment of silence. God, all I have in me right now is a desire for you and nothing else, and he hears it. What extravagant grace. Hold on in your pit. Happy are those who trust in the Lord. Trust in God and he will rescue. And the waiting may even be a part of the rescue. Pray and God will hear. And for those of you who are not in the pit, pray for those in the pit. Pray for those around you that you know are in the pit. And hold on to that thought because we're going to close with that in a minute. Second thing is this. I believe this passage not just says, if you're in the pit, 
wait patiently, but it's to have compassion on those who are in a pit. Have compassion on those around you. God's compassion coming from you. You were wondering how I was going to tie Mother's Day into this sermon, weren't you? I know you were all, he's like, I've got my list. He hasn't talked about Mother's Day yet, and he hasn't talked about evangelism. So how is he going to do this? So here's how we're tying in Mother's Day. You ready? Probably the most important thing your mother ever told you was this. Listen to me. Have you ever heard that? Would you just listen to me? Listen to what I'm telling you. No, I don't want to put on clothes. You have to wear clothes to the store. Listen to me. That happened last week. (laughs) Kidding. I'm glad you're all with me still. This is good. Our mothers taught us to listen. Listen to what I say. God listens to us, right? He inclines his ear to us. How do we mimic God? How do we become like God? We learn to listen. It is the most important thing, I believe, for Christians to learn today. Okay, it's not John 3.16. It's a good Bible verse, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is for you to learn to shut your mouth and open your ears and to listen to what other people are telling you to be able to hear them in their pit, just like my friend Mark, who was able to share his whole life, and all I had to do was say, tell me more. That's a great line right there. Tell me more. What's going on? How was that for you? How is your daughter? And just listen. Empathy is compassion in action, okay? And empathy means to literally go down in the pit with somebody else. That is the literal meaning of the word empathy, to go down with someone else. Listening to others is the most compassionate and empathetic thing that we can do when somebody is in the pit, whatever the pit may be. It might be a spiritual pit. It might be a physical pit. It might be an emotional pit or relational pit, whatever the pit is. Beverly, you did that for us this last week when you came and you just listened when we had Amelia at home sick. Thank you. I just saw you and it just totally popped in my head. You're not in my notes, but you're in the sermon now. Congratulations. Welcome to the sermon. Listening isn't easy, guys. It really isn't. Real listening is is not something that comes naturally to us. Uh, we're not doing it to get something from somebody. We're not doing it, listening for an opening for the gospel, right? You're just, like, you're just waiting for that moment of spiritual need so you can whip out that Bible verse. That's not listening. That's, that's speaking. That's looking for a chance to speak. It's not listening for the right argument to make about why you need Jesus and you're going to hell and all of these things. That's not listening. We listen to understand their world and their life. We listen to empathize. We listen to love. Of all of the skills that God has been working in me in the last several years, listening has been the hardest. Listening is like learning a foreign language. It really is. Listening is is like learning, learning to breathe in water. It is not the world we live in. It is not the culture that has taught us. It is a whole new way of being, and it is God's way. God listens. He inclines his ear toward us. And maybe if we could get a little bit of an inclining our ear toward God a bit more and inclining our ear to the world a bit more, 
we would find that the world experiences Christians a lot different. The reason that Mark thought that I was so different is because I listened to his story, his history, his tribal roots, his concerns for the world, his fears for the future. I listened to his pit, and I did not judge him. And he said, I could come to your church. He was interested in why somebody who would not condemn him for his thinking, why he wasn't turned away or accused or had fingers pointed at him, he was just cared about and listened to. Listen. That's what this world needs. And then after that, after you listened, then it's time to tell. Because this passage talks about speaking, about how God rescued him from the pit, right? He says, I did not, I, I told, let's see, I'm going to read it right here, verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation, see, I didn't restrain my lips. Like you just kind of that picture, right? Holding his lips shut, right? Getting his hand over his mouth. I'm not going to tell about it. I won't do it. You can't make me. It's kind of how a lot of us go about life, right? God does things in us, but we're like, <laughs> you can't understand what I just said, could you? Neither could I. So we're restraining our lips. And this is what he says here. I didn't restrain my lips. I, in the great assembly, you know what that means? In the mall. <laughs> it means at the store. It means at the neighborhood. It's wherever people are. I was talking about how God rescued me. From what? Rescued me from sin. We get this theoretical abstract ideas about evangelism. This is not what it's talking about. How he rescued you from your pit. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws, which was a thing back in the 80s. You don't have to know the Romans' road of salvation, which I'm not even sure which era that was in, but it's all these methods. You don't have to take an evangelism class. You don't have to go and, and learn a bunch of scripture verses. You know what you need to do? God rescued me from my pit. I was horribly depressed, and I thought that I was going to die. And I got help, and I talked to somebody, and that somebody listened to me. And in the end, that somebody was God. And God rescued me from that pit, and he set my feet on solid ground. And sometimes I struggle with depression, but Jesus loves me all the same. Whoa, that's different. Your pit is real. And God wants to use your rescue to show compassion to somebody else. You don't need to be a skilled speaker. You don't have to have a five-minute testimony or learn all the apologetics that are out there. You don't need a gimmick or a catchy phrase or a way to have an in. You don't need to be, you know, the super smarmy Christian guy. You don't have to tell people that they're going to earn a bunch of money if they become a Christian. You have to have some kind of a catch, a hook to get them in there. All you have to do is tell them what God did in you and what God is doing in you. And we can all do that. It's simple. It's vulnerable. But our rescue was public, and it's expressed publicly. Our stories of rescue are meant to be shared because it was good news to you. It is good news to somebody else because if it happened to you, Masaro, it can happen to somebody in your office. If it happened to you, Preston, it can happen to somebody in your building. God rescues us, and the whole world will see and know. People are interested in your story. Rikai made a huge difference in my life. Really? How? 
They're interested. Jesus made an enormous difference in my life. Really? How? How could that be? How can you call yourself a Christian when you see all this other stuff? What about the Crusades? What about, what about the Conquistadors? What about the nuns? What about, you know what? All of that stuff, that happened. And it probably will happen again. But that's not what saved me or rescued me. It had nothing to do with any of that. We open our mouths and we tell about it. Express your belief in God's goodness. If you open your mouth and you share it, you are an evangelist. Congratulations. This is all about missions, right? It's not just about an elite commando Christian being sent someplace out in the world. It's about you being a little Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, a little mini Jesus right where you're at, sharing God's compassion with those around you telling others how you were rescued from a pit, even going down into the pit with them to listen and to love them right where they're at, just like Jesus does. Just like Jesus does. And it's good news because you become good news. So my closing question to consider, is that was a little longer than I, but you guys are like way with me. Good job. A closing question. All right. The reason this is long, because I didn't spend as much time on it. This is all just kind of coming out of my heart, and I didn't get to pare it down. So I have three questions, not just one. Sorry. You get to choose one, I guess, which one the Holy Spirit is going to prompt in you. And and we're going to close with that. We're going to sing the doxology, and then we're going to go, and you're going to get to go do this. That's the beauty of this sermon, right? You actually get to go actually act it out somewhere with somebody. Here's my three questions. Number one. What is or was your pit? You've got to stay close to that. You see, if you're not close to your rescue from that pit, you'll never share it. So what is or was your pit that God rescued you? Second question, maybe this one's for you, I don't know. Who is in need of a listening ear around you? Who is in a pit that you need to go down into with? Just go sit with. And the third one, it's kind of like it. Who needs to hear your story? Who is it? Because this changes, right? This is not like God putting a target on somebody. It changes all the time. You're always encountering somebody different. Your story is always needed by somebody different. And the nature of your pit is always going to be different. It changes. But what is it right now? Let's take one minute of silence just to kind of ponder that a little bit. And then we'll close by singing the doxology, and then you can all take your mothers out to lunch, okay? All right, let's take a minute of silence.
Before we close, I really feel called to pray for those of you who feel like you are in a pit right now. Again, it could be a, an emotional pit, a depression, or, or something else going on. It could be a relational pit. Your, your marriage is on the rocks. You're strained. Your kids are, are hurting. There's any, you know, it could be a, a physical pit. You're struggling in your health. Um, whatever the nature of your pit is, I just, I just want to pray for you right now. Um, pray God's compassion over you. So, you know, if that's just you, let's just all close our eyes. Let's all pray for one another. And that's just you. Let's just lift up your hand to receive, to receive what God wants to bring. Father, I thank you that you incline your ear to us and that you hear us when we call to you. And right now, there are many of us in this room who are in a pit, and the nature of that pit is different for each one of us, but God, you see and you know. And so, Lord, I pray that your your hand of comfort would come now, your Holy Spirit would invade that space, and that your presence would be made known in the midst of the pit for each person in this space right now. And God, I pray that you would send somebody else to, God, bring your comfort and compassion in the midst of the pit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me together? We're going to sing the doxology. Hopefully we haven't gone too long, and I'm going to get in trouble with our kids' workers. We'll see. Doxology, ancient song. Christians have been singing it for centuries, even in the worst of times, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Even in the midst of a pit, his blessing is coming to you. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. In the Catholic Church, the priest often puts the sign of the cross over the people as he commissions them to go out and do something. So this morning, I'm not Catholic, but I am putting the cross of Jesus over all of you to go and share the story of rescue with somebody this week, or to listen to somebody in the midst of their space. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit to love somebody well by listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week for work and worship, worship and work here.